At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. Good morning. It's good to see everyone. Uh, my name is Kevin, otherwise known as the sabbatical pastor. So... Um, I'd like to begin this morning with a question, and that question is, how many of you are familiar with the name Red Skelton? Okay, about as equal as 9.30. That's good. That's good. I have a story about him. In 1951, comedian Red Skelton and a party of friends flew to Europe, where Skelton was to appear at the London Palladium for a show. As they were flying over the Swiss Alps, three of the four engines in the plane went out. They failed. And the situation looked pretty grim. And the passengers huddled together and they began to pray. And at that time, Skelton went into one of his best comic routines to distract the passengers from the emergency that now engulfed their life. The plane was losing altitude, coming closer and closer to those ominous-looking mountains in the window. A collision seemed certain. And at the last moment, the pilot spied a large field among the slopes, and he made a perfect landing. Skelton broke the relieved silence by saying, now, ladies and gentlemen, you may return to the evil habits you gave up 20 minutes ago. (laughs) You know, sometimes all it takes is a crisis to reveal that our faith isn't all that strong. Right, that our faith isn't all that deep. It isn't rooted in the truth of God's word. And for those of us that have placed our faith in Christ and trust him alone for salvation and follow him in all of life, everything in this life is not guaranteed to be smooth. I'm going to guess that you knew that before you even came in here today. And just a couple of weeks ago, Rob actually stood up on this stage and said, life's not going to be all a bunch of bubblegum and rainbows. I'm not sure what that means, but I think it means it's not going to be smooth. But then he also told us, buckle up, right? Because storms, because trials and hardship are absolutely certain, whether you're a believer or not. And for the past few years, the level of anxiety in our world has multiplied to astonishing levels. And we largely have the pandemic to thank for that. But the pandemic was a global storm, if you will, that revealed personal and political anxieties and fears that were already there, just underneath the surface of who we are. And now you and I live with this heightened level of anxiety and fear that upon which all of what we would call the normal cares and concerns of life sit upon. Despite this reality, it is still expected in life that all Christians will face storms. You're going to face trials. You're going to face a hardship. It's certainty if you haven't already, which I'm going to guess that you have. Right? We all face storms of sickness, storms of loss, 
Storms of disappointment and conflict, like the one we read of yesterday in Israel. We also face storms of the death of loved ones, people we hold dear. There's also storms in personal finances and things of that nature. See, all of these that I just mentioned are common to all of us and unique to no one. But as believers, we know that Jesus provides us with forgiveness and grace and new life by the, by the Spirit that dwells in us, but also glory, right? There's a promise of glory that one day as believers, we will see Jesus face to face. But none of that guarantees a smooth life now. None of it. Even in obeying Jesus' commands, we're likely to face a storm. If you read anything in the Bible, especially the Gospels, you know that once a person comes to faith in Christ, things don't get easy. In fact, they get harder. And over the past couple of weeks, we've received a lot of teaching from Jesus. We've seen a lot of parables about seeds and soils, about lamp under a basket. But today we're going to follow Jesus as he exits the classroom. He exits the classroom and takes his disciples into the laboratory. The laboratory of life and a real live storm. And it's really through this storm that scripture makes a very bold claim to all who read it. And that claim is this, that Jesus is the one who reigns over all creation. Jesus reigns over all creation. So, If you have your Bibles, open to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4, will be starting in verses 34, excuse me, 35, and we're going to read to verse 41. And I want to stand, if you would, for the reading of God's Word. So Mark, chapter 4, starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, that's Jesus, is in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Gracious Lord and Father, we are grateful to be here today. And in the midst of the storms of our own lives, in the midst of the storm that we witnessed on our TVs and maybe even our phones of what's happened in Israel in the last 24 hours, God, we are at a loss for words. Storms so often, God, leave us speechless. We don't understand them. We can't believe they're happening most of the time. And God, I admit, even in this moment, I've sense of pressure even myself to just fill this moment with a bunch of words. But perhaps the best thing, the most important thing we can do is to be silent in your presence. Because God, there's nothing we can do to change anything. 
in this world. We have no power, Father. So God, I pray that you would bring peace to the situation in Israel and in Gaza. God, we pray for the safety of a great many people. We pray for the end to senseless violence and killing. God, we affirm that you are just as much here as you are there. In fact, God, your word promises us that there's nowhere we can go and not find you there. Lord, we're counting on that right now. We're counting that your steadfast love and your peace and your comfort would transcend all of our understanding and it would flow freely into that storm in Israel. But I also pray that it would flow freely into the storms that we are facing. We're grateful to be here, God. Grateful that we can gather because Jesus gives us access to you. We can come to you in confidence and cry out, God, because we know that you hear our prayers. God, today I pray that as we look into your word, we would be reminded afresh of the hope we have in Christ. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Well, our text begins with on that day. And while it is morning for us here, it's actually evening for Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has had a long day, an exhausting day, quite honestly, of teaching. So I'd like to briefly recap that day because I think it's important for us to understand. The day began for Jesus with an accusation, quite honestly, a, a really angry charge from the, from the Pharisees that he was controlled by a demon. How'd you like that for breakfast? I imagine none of us would. All kidding aside, though, that was a fiercely confrontational battle between light and darkness. And there's a sizable crowd that's kind of engaged and watching what's happening and witnesses to all of this. It got so intense that Jesus' own family tried to come and physically remove him and take him home. They thought he lost his mind. Imagine that. And so Jesus teaches on the shoreline, but the crowd is so big that he has to get in a boat and kind of get just off of shore and teach from the boat in the water. And this teaching goes on all day, probably in the hot sun of the Mediterranean. Right? No gazebo to sit under, no umbrella to shield him from the sun. And so after hours and hours of this, Jesus is just exhausted. He's spent. He has no energy. I think we all can relate to that. We've all had a day like that where we come home from work and it's just done. On the couch and we don't move for hours. Nothing left in the tank. This is exactly where we find Jesus in verse 35 and 36. And so Jesus is just looking for what we all look for. Looking for some rest. But he can't even get away from the crowd because other people, the text tells us, get in boats and there's other boats with him as they set out from shore. But once they set out, Jesus falls asleep quickly. And Mark, through Peter's retelling of this story, he wastes no time telling us that a storm rises up on the sea. Now the text doesn't explicitly tell us, but it is the Sea of Galilee. Right? The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet or so below sea level. 
and it's surrounded by high terrain on all sides. And on the east side, the mountains actually rise up about 2,000 feet. And so you, sometimes you could have the east wind, which would bring, you know, very arid, tropical, warm, moist air at the top of all these mountains and at the top of the lake, down through these ravines, and they would be cool down near the water surface. And so this is a recipe for sudden violent storms, exactly like the text describes to us. And so storms like this, don't miss this, were completely normal for the Sea of Galilee, completely normal happened routinely. Something fishermen, some of which followed Jesus, would know all about and be very familiar with. So this storm is really intense, so intense that water's coming over the boat and starting to fill it. Maybe it's calf deep, maybe it's knee deep. This isn't some luxury shoreliner. This, these fishing boats were probably about 27 or so feet long, about 8 feet wide, about 5 feet deep. And so Jesus, he's in the back of this boat. He's asleep. Doesn't matter the wind, the waves, water coming in. Jesus is sleeping in a deep sleep. You know the kind, the kind that nothing can wake you from, the kind that only someone physically shaking you can wake you from. But there's something critical that we can't miss here. To be in that boat, in that place, Amidst all of the chaos, all of the danger, to be in that storm was Jesus' idea. It was his doing. Remember, it was Jesus who said, let us go across to the other side. This storm was no accident. Jesus put them there. Jesus isn't even surprised by the storm. Instead, Jesus remains calm and at peace. When our boys were young, Georgette and I have two sons, and um, when they were young, we got them into swim lessons. And swim lessons, sometimes uh, they required us to get in the pool with parents and kind of teach them some things and kind of follow the instructor's lead. And I remember that when we were swimming with them and they would be kind of like in the water and we'd be standing with them, as long as they could see us, as long as they could be swimming and then look up at us, they were fine. But the minute we got too far away, the minute they couldn't easily turn and see us or call out our name, they couldn't hear us because of the, maybe the, the splashing water, they panicked. Fear would rush in. Panic would rush in. Anxiety would go so high. See, the point is this. Georgette and I put them in those lessons. And we continued to take them swimming, continued to put them in pools because it was for their good. See, storms in your life are engineered by God. And before you want to check out and say, hey, that's morbid, that's cruel, he's doing it for your good. See, the truth is when we look at this text, the disciples were never in danger. If you just casually look at the text, you think they were about to lose their lives. They surely thought so. See, storms that we face in life, they're engineered by God to reveal who he is and who we are, and our desperate need for him at every turn, for everything. Think about what Jesus taught them earlier in the day. Let's go back a second. He talked to them about different soils that were images of different heart conditions that either did or did not allow God's word to take root. Right? We, the, the seed that was sown along the path, that represented the hard heart. 
the rocky ground with a shallow heart that lacked endurance, the thorny ground that represented the distracted heart, that the cares of the world, sinful desires would choke the word from taking root. Only one soil was good. The soil that actually allowed the word to, to be planted deep, to take root and to spring up to life that yielded a ton of a harvest. It was productive. So Jesus teaches them all this, and then he takes them directly into a storm. A storm that would reveal the quality of their faith. It would reveal their heart condition. See, storms for us now actually reveal how much God's word has taken root in our hearts. If it remains just at the shallowness of head knowledge, or if it's gone down deep in our hearts, such that we trust him completely, we'll follow him anywhere. We'll do anything that he asks us to do. I think it's time for a question. When you're in a storm, maybe it's a storm of a recent past experience, is the anxiety you're experiencing causing you to see Jesus as not enough? Maybe this storm causes you to see him puny and insignificant. I think words from author and pastor Francis Chan says it powerfully. He writes, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. Where are you willing to put yourself? Because Jesus asks you to. See, whatever the storm you're in now or the storm that may be coming on your horizon, you need to remember that Jesus, he's not worried. He's not anxious about your situation. In fact, he's right there giving you his calm and peaceful presence. Let's return to our text. Look at the second half of verse 38. Mark writes, And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So put yourself there in the moment. The boat is filling up with water. Maybe it's getting deep, too deep for you to not be panicked. And the wind is howling, and in a panic, the disciples, they rush to the stern to wake Jesus up. And the question they ask him isn't just desperate. It actually carries with it a a charge, an accusation of carelessness on the part of Jesus. See, for the disciples, it just wasn't enough that Jesus was there with them. It wasn't enough that he was physically there with them in the boat. Jesus, don't we mean anything to you? Don't you care what happens to us? Don't you see what's going on? See, if you really look at their question, there was nothing, nothing mild about it. But from Jesus, we actually see his response that he speaks with authority. Jesus speaks with authority. He wakes up and responds directly to the storm. He specifically, don't miss this, addresses both the wind and the sea, bringing it all to an abrupt and immediate end. Peace, be still. A little over 14 years ago, that was uh, 2009 it was, 
um, that my wife, Georgette, she got probably the worst case of influenza I'd ever seen. Um, never seen anything like this in my life. And she um, nearly died, if I'm honest with you. And I raced her to the hospital. Um, pretty sure I broke a ton of laws uh, getting there. Uh, there wasn't a speed limit that I didn't break. Um, yeah, so it was pretty crazy. And so I got her to the hospital and got her quickly into the ER, and the, and the doctors and nurses were attending to her. She, she wasn't conscious, so it was pretty grim. And I was absolutely full of fear. I was so panicked, so panicked. And I remember she was on uh, the hospital bed, and I was kind of standing over her. Doctors and nurses are everywhere doing what they do. And I'm holding her hand, and I'm crying, and my tears are running off my face onto hers. And I remember praying as, as feverishly as I could. As, as much as I could in that moment. And I remember just saying, as I was praying, I said, God, don't take her from me. And then an unmistakable peace just came over me. The kind of peace that I still to this day can't really explain. Don't have an explanation for it. But then in a still, small voice, God said to me, Kevin, who do you think she belongs to? See, in that storm, my question was just like the disciples. God, don't you care? Don't you see what's happening? Are you asleep? Are you going to do something here? Are you going to intervene? See, in response to my selfish demand of God, God gave me grace. See, his question reoriented me to the truth of who he is, that he is God. And long before I ever met Georgette, he, she belonged to him. She was his handiwork, his craftsmanship. She was and is a gift to me. God is, has authority over all creation and all people. There's nothing that happens that surprises him. The anxiety I was experiencing in that moment didn't change any of that, even though my emotions wanted to lead me to that conclusion. But it's important we stop and recognize that Jesus, he doesn't promise to calm every storm. Sometimes the storms continue, even though we cry out to God and God hears our prayers. See, sometimes God's plan is to work another way. And I think the words from award-winning author Leslie Gould capture this reality. She writes this. Sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child. The disciples, they struggled to trust Jesus because they were learning who he truly was as they lived with him and followed him. That he was indeed God. And this wouldn't be the last time Jesus would actually point out their lack of faith to them. But you and I, on the other hand, we don't have any excuse. God's word makes it plain that Jesus is God. He put on flesh and came into this dark world. He gave his life as a perfect sacrifice, a sinless lamb for our eternal good. He died and rose again from the dead. He intercedes now for every single believer at the right hand of the Father. 
And he's actually given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and make a home with us, to, who points us to him, points us to Jesus' words, reminds us of what Jesus has done, convicts us of sin that causes us to have a lack of faith. See, Jesus can be trusted no matter the storm you're in because he has authority over every one of them. There's not a single storm that Jesus' power isn't sufficient to hold you through, guide you through, and spare you through. Let's return to the text one last time. Look at verse 40. He, that's Jesus, said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So after Jesus addresses the storm, now he turns his attention to his disciples. But he doesn't humiliate them for their question. They wrongly assume that his sleeping men, he didn't care. And how often are you and I the same? We take God's lack of action or his lack of action when we want and how we want it to mean that he doesn't care or at a minimum that he's not really truly with us. We make so many assumptions by not getting what we want from God about his presence in our life. Instead, Jesus' questions actually challenge us to live in fearless faith. So Jesus doesn't rebuke them, but he does seem a little irritated, doesn't he? I don't know about you, but I think it's easy to imagine what the disciples wanted to respond to his questions. Where's my faith? Seriously, Jesus? It's floating out in the sea that almost took us out. I mean, really. That's just how I would respond. But see, Jesus' questions reveal something underneath, something in the heart, that a lack of faith in him is detrimental to relationship with him. You might ask why. Because it's personal. See, faith is a personal matter. And a lack of faith in Jesus is a personal rejection to him. And so you and I, we often use, and many people do, the words belief and faith as if they're the same, but the difference is significant. And I want to try to explain this by imagining that you're at a circus. Okay, imagine you're at a circus and a skilled high-wire artist has accomplished so many marvelous feats that the audience has come to believe that he can do just about anything. Okay, and so the ringmaster says to the crowd, ladies and gentlemen, how many of you believe that this daring man can ride safely over the high wire on his bicycle while carrying someone on his shoulders? No takers. If you believe you can do it, please raise your hand, the ringmaster says. And so in confident belief, many people in the crowd raise their hand. And so the ringmaster says, very well then, now, who will be the first volunteer to sit on his shoulders? None of you. <laughs> See, ultimately, faith is not merely believing certain things about someone. It's about putting your trust in that someone. That's what faith is. And sure enough, in the storm, the disciples had already believed certain things that Jesus had taught them. Right? They were a whole day of teaching, and Jesus taught in many other instances and contexts. And so they had all of the head knowledge, but their trust in who he was, their trust in his identity as God was lacking. And some of us might want to hit the brakes here and say, whoa, wait a second, hold on. 
Fear in the face of a a storm like that, fear in the face of a storm in my life, isn't it natural to be a little bit afraid? Isn't it natural to have anxiety? Isn't that the natural response to some things like this? Jesus doesn't agree. Because we should know that he's with us. His presence makes all the difference. But I want you to note how the story ends. Because the disciples actually experience fear on both sides of what Jesus does. First, their fear of the storm was one thing, but it was nothing compared to the fear of comprehending who Jesus was. And see, the presence of God is far more frightening than the most destructive forces in nature and even the evil schemes of man. Only one can take your life without permission. So the question before us today is, what kind of faith is revealed in the storm you're facing? Is it intellectually strong? Is it, is it head knowledge and head knowledge alone and practically weak? The disciples were surely in a place like that. And their lack of calm was directly tied to their lack of trust in who Jesus truly is, that he is God and he's Lord over all creation. Circumstances bend their knee to Jesus. And through every storm, there is one truth that all believers share, and that is that Jesus is enough, no matter if the road is smooth or not. Because to be with Jesus is far greater than anything else. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.